Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Crazy news. Not cr- eh. Well, there's a couple stories. Uh, the Iranian Navy, the Associated Press is reporting that the Iranian Navy's largest ship uh, caught fire in the Gulf of Oman and, sunk, and sank today. Yeah. So, that story in the, in the news. Right, all you got to do is do a little bit of a search on... Iran and Navy. So when in doubt, go to the Associated Press and this is an AP story. Pretty amazing. Supposedly, it's footage from this ship. And this ship is fully engulfed on fire. It's huge. The fire is huge. This is from somebody by the name of Joyce Karam. Footage reportedly of hashtag Iran. Largest Navy ship, the Karg, K-H-A-R-G, burning this morning in the Gulf of Oman. The vessel later sank, according to the Associated Press, in yet another mysterious incident-slash-disaster befalling Iran's military. Yeah. So, um, right, immediately, right, the finger gets pointed at Israel. Now, there's a guy, if you've never seen him, his name is Commander Salamander, and he does a blog that's uh, that's pretty popular. Um, you 
the karg is provide is capable of providing replenish replenishment to other ships lifting heavy cargo and serving as a launch point for helicopters so it's got a helicopter platform what is it a supply ship that is their biggest ship so this is from india a story called this from the the hindu the largest ship in the Iranian Navy caught fire and later sank Wednesday in the Gulf of Oman under unclear circumstances. Semi-official news agencies reported. The Farce and Tasman News Agency said efforts failed to save the support ship Karg, named after the island that serves as the main oil terminal for Iran. The blaze began around 2.25 a.m. Firefighters tried to control it, state TV said. The vessel sank near the Iranian port of Jask, some 1,270 miles southeast of Tehran on the Gulf of Oman, near the Straits of Hormuz, the narrow mouth of the Persian Gulf. Photos circulated on Iranian social media of sailors wearing life jackets, evacuating the vessel as a fire burned behind them. Iranian semi-official news agencies referred to the Karg as a training ship. So, it's interesting. Um, Commander Salamander <laughs> writes this. So he's a Navy, he's a retired Navy guy. And he comments on naval things. Wrote this maybe a couple hours ago. Don't assign to Israel things best explained by poor maintenance and sketchy, if not absent, inspections. And he writes that over the top of an Associated Press headline. Breaking news. The largest ship in the Iranian Navy catches fire and later sinks in the Gulf of Oman under unclear circumstances. You know, um, here's what's odd, right? When you write that in the story... Under unclear circumstances, that um, when you use that phraseology, because you could describe it as very few details, right, available at this time. So there's a whole way to capture that um, the situation is unclear because the only thing you have is what the um, the semi-official Iranian news agencies are telling you. So, when you write that it's unclear, um, you're pointing the finger at Israel, simply by the way you phrase that. Now, having said that, it's plausible that the Israelis could be involved in this. And, uh, but when you don't have any evidence and you're a news organization to write like that, um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the AP's pissed because, what, two weeks ago, 
the Israelis smoke their office in Gaza? Hmm. Yeah, I don't want to connect too many dots here, but um, yesterday the recording of the program uh, got screwed up. So Grant Newsom, um, Grant Newsom will rejoin the program today. So we'll ask Grant if he were a betting man, were he would he bet on um, Iranian incompetence or Israeli espionage? And how would you do that? How would you do that? Well, let's see. You're you you find somebody who's doing maintenance work on the ship. You pay them a lot of money. You show them exactly, because you have the blueprints of the ship, you show them exactly where you want them to put this package. The package is a, is a, is a timed explosive. You put it on a fuel line that runs through the ship, knowing that when that thing explodes, there's going to be a fire, and as, that, as more fuel gushes in before they can figure out what the hell's going on, you know this thing will this thing will be huge now i don't know that, if that's the way you do it but i've i've been i've lived on ships i've seen maintenance done on ships for a long time i know how many people come and go when a ship's in port having maintenance done on it is it that hard not sure not sure so i mean i don't think you can rule out espionage by somebody but uh the state of Israel will immediately get blamed for it. So, but that that's interesting this morning. The other thing I saw this morning on the news is this, been this video, and I heard about it. Right, I heard about it before um, I saw it. So, um, it's a video from NBC in Los Angeles. Woman pushes bear off a wall to protect her dogs. Now. If you watch this video, the video is about 41 seconds long. And um, I, wonder if it, I wonder if it has any audio. Hold on. Let me see if I can tee this up. Okay, hold on. No, it's, it's, like, it's like a security camera, I think, pointed to, to a fence, right? It's a brick cinder block fence and there's a lemon tree so there's kind of a garden in front of it and there's a home on the other side and so it shows you um, a bear a brown bear right comes walking down with her cub and they're walking on the fence now we all know bears and cubs right Stay away, okay? But this woman in this home, I think, has three or four dogs in the home. Now, the problem is the dogs don't understand bearology 101. And that is when a bear's got her cub, stay the fuck away, right? So, roll the tape. Dog and bear. Now, here comes one, two, three dogs, okay? Now, here comes dog number four. The first dog looks like kind of a black lab, and he goes right after the bear. 
And but the black lab like looks at the bear and thinks this dog's bigger than me. Right? Because I mean, to a dog, everything else is a dog, right? So this weird-looking dog coming near my backyard, right? Now the black lab has two companions with him or her. They go out of the picture and chase, the, probably chase the cub who's on who's on top of the fence. Now the bear's on top of the fence, okay? So it's on top of a cinder block fence, trying to swipe at this dog, okay? And then you have this fourth dog, this kooky chubby dog. He comes into the picture late. Yeah, the fat guy comes in late. Now, the fat guy is the kook. The lab gets swiped at and says, fuck this, I'm out, right? But the little dog, the fat one who shows up late, he's all about the fight. So he's he's chasing the dog, and then the bear reaches down, right? So the, the fat late dog, <laughs> he's, he, he's, fight, he's getting ready to fight the bear. You see the other two dogs, the little dogs that started, right? They're, they were running the other way. They're like, fuck this. We're out. So the lab's out. The two other dogs are out. And the fat dog who showed up late, he's now in the clutches of the bear when the woman comes running out and sees the bear on the fence. And what do you think she does? She runs straight at the bear and she shoves the bear off the fence. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And the woman and the fat dog, they run in the house. <laughs> You've got to watch it. You've got to watch it. It's awesome. But I have to tell you, lady, right, I respect what you did, but if that bear has any form of balance, right, he's gonna he would have swatted your face off. Yeah, seriously. He would have swatted your face off. You'd be you'd be holding your face in your hands if that bear takes even a swipe at you. So, you know what? Sometimes it's better to be lucky, you know, luckier than it is to be good. And this woman, right? This woman, and there's a couple different views. If you go to the view, I'll I'll post the link on uh, in this hour. But it's NBC Los Angeles' view. You see the whole backyard. I don't know why there's views on YouTube that block out some stuff. So God only knows why. It is YouTube, right? So here's the bear and the baby bear. They're walking down the fence like it's cool. Right? And then you see the dogs come out. One, dash two, and dash three. They take off. Dash one leaves, dash two and three leaves. Dash four, the fat one, he gets after the bear. The bear grabs the dog. The woman shoves the bear, shoves the bear off the fence yes, and grabs one of those mutts, and they all run inside. It's awesome. I have to tell you. It's absolutely, you got to watch it. It's absolutely positively awesome. All right, now. Uh, joining me for the second time in two days. This has never really happened, but uh, Grant Newsom is going to join me. So, um, yeah, so stand by. We'll get Grant on here. Yeah, seriously, I saw that. And I was like, lady. Yeah, let's see. Skype music. As this, 
Okay. Yeah, hi, Grant speaking. There's the pitter-patter of Grant Newsham uh, on the – Hey, Grant, I was just watching. I was actually just doing some play-by-play. There is a, some video floating around of a woman in Los Angeles. And uh, she, it looks like she lives like in San Dimas or Rancho Cucamonga or someplace like uh, near the, the foothills, I would say northeast of Los Angeles. I have no idea, but that would make this story make sense. And a brown bear and the brown bear's cub come walking down the cinder block fence that separates this woman's home from another home. And you see this on a security camera. Okay. So there's a backyard. Mm -hmm. There's uh, like a walkway. There's like uh, dirt with, it looks like palm trees and a fruit tree. It looks a lemon tree. And here comes the bear and her cub sauntering down the wall. Now this woman has four dogs, a lab and then three midget dogs, okay? The next thing you see in the picture is the black lab, and the two of the midget dogs come racing into the backyard, right, to take on this very large Mm -hmm. dog as they perceive it, okay? Um, The two little dogs, they chase the cub down the wall. The lab goes after the brown bear. In short Mm -hmm. order, all three of those dogs take off running the other way. But there's a fourth dog. He's the fat dog. He's a little fat dog. He comes running in late, but and, but he's a tough guy. So he decides he's going to take on the brown bear. So he jumps up on the wall. The brown bear who swatted at the, the black lab, who subsequently took off, right, reaches down, and he grabs the fat dog. Okay? Next you mm-hmm. see the woman come running out, the, the woman of the house. She comes running out. What do you think she does? She uh, rushes over to the, the black bear and pushes him off. She does. It's a brown bear. It's California. It's not Maine. Okay. She rushes okay. over. I know you're geographically challenged because you're an East Coaster. Uh-huh. Um, so she pushes him off the wall. She, and she grabs her dog, pushes the bear off the wall, and grab, then picks the dog up and runs back in the house. Hmm. That's uh, more presence of mind than I would have had. I, I don't think so. Because if you have any presence of mind, you know that if that bear swipes you once, mm-hmm. it's not going to work out well. Yeah, I would have. Uh, I think he would have probably eaten at least three <laughs> or four of my dogs. <laughs> I agree. But you know, she's a mother, so she runs. She shoves the bear <laughs> off the fence. She grabs her dog, and I'm thinking, thank God that bear's off balance because that that bear has any balance and swipes at you. This doesn't end as well, but mm-hmm. right, hell hath no fury. Um, so yeah, wow. if you, yeah, mm-hmm. if you get a chance, um, absolutely watch this because, in short order, the dogs make sense out of all this. Three of them run away. The fat. The fat, slow one, he shows up, and uh, and he does the wrong thing. And <laughs> thankfully, his mother um, – I just put the link in the window. So when you're, when you're uh, available to watch it, you make sure you do. It's, uh, oh, it's probably got like 40 million <laughs> views already or something. <laughs> you know it does. You know it does. Um, breaking news today. Um, 
uh, Iran's largest ship, the Karg, evidently caught on fire and sank today. Huh. And and uh, there's much speculation. Even in in fact, um, you're 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 a writer of sorts. Um, no, I, I shouldn't say that. You're a straight up writer. So, um. I want to read you this, and you can tell me what you think. So, um, Iran's largest ship sinks, and this is what gets written by the Associated Press. And I just want you to listen to the language of this, based mm-hmm. on now they don't know they don't know what's what's gone on, right? And so, um, let me just. Uh, The Associated Press, and let me see if I can find the. I need to find the story. Yeah, this is from the Associated Press. Breaking, the largest ship in Iran's navy catches fire and later sinks in the Gulf of Oman under unclear circumstances, semi-official news agencies report. Now, you don't have any information about this as a news organization other than what somebody gives you, why would you write under unclear circumstances? Because in my opinion, when you write that, who do you point the finger at? Oh, Israel. Hello? So, or the U.S. Navy, if they could have renamed it the Bonham Richard. That's a, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. No, look, no, that, that, that's it. But, yeah, at, least, hey, at least the Ron ship was at sea. Okay. Yeah. And, so, uh, you know, I suppose if they could have blamed it on Donald Trump, they would have. But but why is a news organization, right, a, a legitimate news organization, which we all hope the AP still is, why would you write under unclear circumstances when all of the circumstances are unclear because you just don't have the information right now? It's is, Do you think that's a little payback for the uh, Israelis dropping their building in Gaza last two weeks ago? Oh, they've been... Well, you know, they've been anti-Israel or forever. Uh, this is nothing new. But it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but it is, you know, just the state of journalism today. You know, it's not what it was 30 years ago. and Or make, better make it 40. Interesting. So if you were a betting man, there's a guy who does a blog. His name's Commander Salamander. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? He's very good. Yeah, he's very good, right? He writes this, don't assign to Israel things best explained by poor maintenance and sketchy, if not absent, inspections. So I would submit to you that the the space, right, uh, it's a very crowded space between, right, Iranian naval incompetency because they, remember about a year ago, they sank one of their own ships in a gunnery exercise? Mm-hmm. People got confused and they whacked the wrong ship. Um, so it's not like the Iranian Navy... Right, we're going to get that confused with uh, Her Majesty's finest. So, um, would you be wagering on Iranian naval incompetency or Israeli espionage? Oh, I actually—if you were a betting, might, if you were a betting man—I would probably give the Israelis a sort of a hand in this. You would, if I had to. Yeah, I would actually. Just it's what you—they've pulled off so many uh, impressive operations over the years that you always wonder. 
but you're right that the, the Iranian you know, Navy, even I know that it's got a terrible reputation for this sort of for the sort of maintenance that you need to keep ships afloat. So it, it's, you know, I wouldn't put money on one or the other, but I would, sir, I would consider the Israeli possibility. But well, if you the had, time, the, if you had to put money on one or the other, which would you choose? Well, I would probably put it on the Israelis. You know, do you think they sit around and and read the stuff that gets written about them and say, you know, we have done such a great job. We get so much credit for doing things we have no hand in. Uh, uh, yes, I do. Yeah, they. In fact, if you read, you know, things, the few things that do get written about them, and and also you hear about them, that they screw up often. Uh, no, not everything is a great success. It's not as if they've got some magic solution to this sort of work. Uh, but, you know, they, um, they have had some successes, you know, obviously that are just really impressive. So you always have to wonder at least, um, but at the same time, you don't dismiss the, the possibility of just sheer incompetence, you know, and I made a reference to the, the Bonhomme Richard, uh, burning up in San, or San Diego. And, you know, it's, you know, it, it's hard to say right now, but it, but AP, as you said, they're reporting on on the on the the Israeli situation it has been just it's unprofessional, just to say the least, uh, for a long, long time. Well, and and I was talking earlier um, back in the day in the old corps when uh, Marine detachments went to sea. Uh, on the major ships that carried nuclear weapons, um, I did that as a first lieutenant executive officer of the, of the Marine Detachment aboard the USS Ranger. So how would you, how would somebody do something like this? Let me tell you, it's not hard. With the number of contractors that go off and on, mm. right, ships when they're in port, I mean, it's just a constant stream. They even have their own brow, for God's sakes. They all get badged and all that kind of stuff in the United States. Is it like that in Iran? If you could find somebody to put a package exactly here, okay, we will pay you, you know, half a million dollars now and a half a million dollars when this event go happens, all right? Mm -hmm. And all you got to do is you will be able to hide it. This package will not be seen by anybody if you put it here because we have the plans for the ship, don't you know? Okay. And we have pictures of where exactly where this thing's going to go. It will not be seen. All you got to do, it's a timed explosives sitting atop maybe a fuel line, one of those purple pipes in American warships that run through the ship. That thing explodes at sea, and then the fuel keeps pumping, and inferno gets created somewhere in that ship. Now, if you don't, if you're not good at damage control, that's a problem. And we all know, those of us have been to sea, damage control is a straight-up, I would say man's event, but that would make me so passe. I don't know how to phrase this. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the physically weak or the diminutive. It is for big people that are, that are moving lumber, that are shoring up walls, that are sealing doors. You need big, strong human beings to do damage control. And if you're afraid, you will lose your ship. So, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. 
Now, if I was a betting man, I would bet on the Israelis too, though. Yeah, you know, you know, you, you never know. But I say you look at some of the stuff they've done just in recent years, and wow, you, you know, they getting getting into that Iranian warehouse and stealing all of their nuclear records. Um, you know, the the people who are um, getting blown up in the middle of Tehran. You know, they've uh, still able to do some things, and so with this one to say it's you know could be, and you know, you look at you know what just happened uh, to Israel where. Hamas in uh, uh, the, from Gaza just launched thousands of Iranian, basically Iranian-supplied missiles into Israel, and started that whole thing. Um, the Israelis probably aren't too happy about that, and one can imagine that you know that if you, the one possibility is that this is a response to that. Uh, but once again, it as you say, it's you know. Ships do burn up and sink, uh, and you know it's hard to say at the moment. But right. you know, here there's a couple possibilities. But but the 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 point you made about Associated Press and and I'd say most most of the Western press, uh, they're reporting on the 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 Israel Palestine uh, issue uh, has been, uh, to put it mildly, one sided uh, for a long long time. The um, I'll read you an email. Hey Mac, I love that you have Grant on, but the hell with the Iranian Navy. I want to see the video of the mother pushing the bear off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That always videos like that always screw everything that comes after it because <laughs> because that's all people want to see. Hey, just just do just do a search on. Woman, bear, right, and it'll, it pops right up. Woman shoves bear, <laughs> something like that. Right? Oh my god! Um, yeah, interesting, interesting story uh, this morning. And whether the, whether they like to or not, whether they like it or not, right? Uh, front and center uh, will be Israel. Uh, they will be defending themselves in spite of no clear evidence uh, that any of this has happened. And there is video. I mean, I've told everybody, when things like this happen, uh, the place you go to get, you know, right, like right now information uh, is uh, is Twitter. If you go to Twitter hmm. and you just type in Iran Navy, and then you, uh, you can look at top stories, and it'll show you, you know, from reputable sources. But... You can also click on the latest, and it will uh, it will give you what's been posted, you know, within the last sixty seconds, right? Um, and uh, here's a question for you, Grant. Um, this and the Karg is a uh, it's a it's a it's a supply ship, right? That's what it is. It's got a you know, it would uh, it would do underway replenishment. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Right, and it has a helicopter pad on it. Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah. Um, the signals that the Biden administration is sending in the direction of Iran was that. Do you think the cause of the four thousand rockets that got sent into? Um, Got in, got sent into Israel because 
they sensed that Israel did not have the same kind of backing from a Biden administration. And so it's emboldened. So what we were, I mean, if you think about this, anomaly of all anomalies in our lifetime, that Israel would be joining with the Arab states in a union against in uh, a common ally, Iran, and that they would be diplomatically recognized by the UAE and other nations and things that you would never thought of happened in your lifetime. And rumored was Saudi Arabia was about to recognize them if Donald Trump got reelected. Um, now, I don't know if that's true. But um, so a question for you. Do uh, do you think that the 4,000 rockets were uh, were an accident? Do you think the timing is accidental? Or think, do you think the timing is a direct reflection of the overtures that the Biden administration has made about being open to, in some way, shape, or form, renegotiating under John, seemingly John Kerry's involvement, again, um, the uh, Iran nuclear accord? Uh, yes, the, the latter. I don't wouldn't say that the Biden administration is open to renegotiating. I think they are falling over themselves, begging the Iranians to please uh, tell them what they want so that they can restart the agreement. Uh, I think the Biden administration is absolutely sown with anti-Semites, with with people who absolutely hate Jews and want Israel to be destroyed and everyone in it murdered. Uh, That's how bad these people are. Uh, Nobody will say this, but it's pretty obvious if you just do keep your eyes open. So I think this was a direct reflection uh, of the, the Biden administration taking over of its policy and a sense of America's enemies, starting with Iran and going down the list, of really no longer being intimidated by the United States. I think that would have, to me, that is the uh, by far the most likely uh, reason for Hamas uh, launching that missile offensive against Israeli civilians. Um, and yeah, you know, it'd it it be hard-pressed to come up with any other excuse for it. In you case only you, do that when you're not afraid that somebody's going to hurt you. And the Iranians aren't afraid anymore, and we're going to pay for this. The um, And again, if you didn't see, um, 4,000 rockets shot into Israel. Okay, And those were not precision-guided weapons either. Mm-hmm. That was the, yeah. an area weapon. And again, I, I'd be curious in the, in the coming weeks to read about, you know, the the Israeli Iron Dome thing evidently performed pretty well. Um, very interesting. So um, but I'll be curious to see in the in the ne- in the coming weeks um, uh, how that uh, how that uh, the reviews of that whole exchange go. Um, if, uh, if there's a picture of the card evidently sinking. It's the same hole number. Um, and uh, the fire evidently started at the aft end of the ship. And uh, it shows the aft end of the ship um, underwater, kind of like the Titanic, right? Um, except hmm. the Titanic went down by the bow. This is kind of the reverse, but like maybe a third of the ship um, in the wa- underwater and with the, uh, with the uh, forward part of the ship, the bow um, out of the water a little bit and uh, uh, completely engulfed by fire and a, and a bunch of smaller ships in the vicinity. So uh, interesting little ship. Um, but yeah, if, if you if you want to find um, 
Uh, breaking news, I, and I don't care what the event is. Um, if you if you want to find it, um, yeah, Twitter's the place. And type in whatever uh, hashtags or that you're looking at, and you will see news uh, literally as it happens from anybody who contributes it around the world. It's it's amazing. Well, I didn't know I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter, and I've sort of sort of uh, clawed my way to 512 followers. So Forty nine thousand <laughs> more, I'll be an influencer. But I didn't know you could search it for things like that. Yeah, if you type uh, in uh, in the rudimentary. Yeah, in in the search box, type in Iran Navy, and then hit enter, and across the top hmm. uh, of the of of your search, it'll say top latest people photos and videos and you can you know if you if you just kind of surf through those things you know you surf through the videos and you're seeing you know video after video of this fire uh from different ships that have been posted mostly in the iranian media uh then you click on photos you see the same thing but they're just images um and uh and then but so if you go to top stories you mostly get large news organizations and and established reporters that have that have that are posting mm-hmm. if you click on latest you'll get what anybody um uh what you you get from any any source and uh and that's where I tend to go uh that will give you stuff breaking by the minute so yeah a little bit of a newsy kind of a sh- kind of stuff this morning um the Wuhan lab thing grant um another miracle you know you warned about this um not the wuhan lab but you know that as much as people hated donald trump there were a lot of things that he got right especially in the era of foreign policy vis-a-vis china uh vis-a-vis iran and you said this you know after the election and said you said essentially i hope we don't come off these positions and uh and it seems like especially with iran we certainly have, and it, you, it's already in, in the few months uh, born sour fruit for the administration and, and for the nation. And our Arab allies are what? Standing there watching going, what's going to happen? Yeah, the, uh, the Israelis are uh, beside themselves, which is extremely worried. Uh, and as you say, these other uh, Arab states that have uh, stuck their necks out you know, with the Abraham Accords to reach these agreements with Israel, uh, that they they are just as concerned as anybody. And this administration, I say, when you look at the people in it and what their uh, policies are, what their beliefs are, what they've said, look at their track records. And it is, it is really uh, scary, and I have not mischaracterized it. Uh, so there's some real reason for uh, the concern by the sort of the more decent people in the Middle East and, you know, just start with John Kerry um, of all people. And then go, when you get down the list to these people you've not heard of and look at their records that these are uh, they're characters that you'd have found them in 1930s Germany, but on the other side, uh, persecuting the, the Jews. Uh, so it's, uh, it's pretty bad. And I don't know how it's going to play out. Interesting. No, again, I just wanted to point out that you uh, you forecasted that you know there's things he's done well, and we would be you know we would do well to to stick to that stuff. But you know, uh, Joe Biden has a better idea. Um, how, how about the indiscretion of the what was it the Iranian foreign minister that said John Kerry had leaked 
information or had been giving him information. <laughs> he said that in public. And they said, oh, 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 I didn't really mean that. And then John Kerry went up on Capitol Hill and denied he ever did that under oath. Well, he's, you know, who are you going to believe? You know, exactly. Look at Kerry's track record. You know, when the Iranian minister said that, look at the circumstances in which he said it, look at what he is quoting. It, there is absolutely nothing which is strange or unbelievable about it. I would suggest the whole thing is in character with John Kerry or lack of character. And, you know, recall when um, uh, during the Trump administration, you know, he was going around talking behind the scenes with his Iranian friends, you know, telling them, you know, don't just wait, you know, until we you know, don't do what that Trump got Trump saying, et cetera. He was sabotaging American foreign policy, not for the first time. Uh, and it's, you know, we, you know, characters like him, you know, they're uh, shameless to say the least, but they show up in ancient Greek literature and tragedy and comedies as well. So he's really nothing new. He's just a sort that, you know, comes along every once in a while. He just stands out from the crowd a little bit. Got it. All right. Um, the Wuhan um, lab story, um, you and I have discussed many times, um, me saying that the uh, the Iraqis cured me of ever believing in coincidence. Um, and, um, and so... You just uh, you just sent me a piece yesterday, and uh, shouldn't America's spies already know where COVID came from? Question mark. Um, so let's talk about that. Should they? Do they? I would say apparently not. You know what? What are we getting for our eighty billion dollars? Uh, you know, that's, you know, it's an, it's a sort of a concern which pops up routinely, actually, over the last 25 years with me, at least, is every time some disaster, foreign policy disaster hits the, the U.S., uh, that it appears that nobody got wind of it. And who is it that is supposed to get wind of security, defense, foreign policy disasters heading our way? Well, the CIA. And the fact that even now, you know, the U.S. government appears not to, you know, sort of not to know for sure that the virus came out of the Wuhan lab one way or the other, well, it suggests somebody isn't doing their job. And that's what my article writes, is that the uh, CIA appears not to be very good at, at spying. Uh, you know, this, you know, it really is just, it's, unfathomable. Well, it really isn't, actually, if you know the organization a little bit. It's just par for the course. But if you have another, you know, sort of a different perspective on that organization, you'd wonder, well, how could they possibly not know? You know, this is a high-priority target. Uh, and certainly once, you know, they, they should have known already, you say, even before the virus leaked, everything that's going on in that lab. Uh, and not just the CIA, but also the entire so-called intelligence community should have been uh, just had the place wired. And it appears they didn't. And then but then even you think, well, once it did, the, the virus leaked in Wuhan, the only place in China with a level four vir virology lab, uh, that maybe they should have uh, put some resources on it and 
And it's certainly been able to figure out, you know, at that point what happened and quickly. And now it's been an, a year and a half. And President Biden says the other day, well, I've directed the intelligence services to look into this and find out what happened. Well, my article is, well, they shouldn't they have already known from the very beginning? And if they didn't, well, what's the problem? Uh, you know, why is do we see this sort of repeated uh, sort of incompetence that, that puts this nation at great risk? Uh, that, that that's what the story's about. Why do you think we're just finding out that um, whether they were scientists or technicians from the Wuhan lab were admitted in November of 2019 uh, to hospitals uh, complaining of flu-like um, respiratory symptoms? Why do you think that is? And then you just had somebody from, I think, the CDC or the FDA former director come out and say, oh, yeah, leaks from, you know, leaks from these kind of labs, they happen on a regular basis. Try as hard as you will to prevent them. They happen. And uh, we know that. So <clears throat> what do you make of that? What, I mean, it doesn't seem like tracing down if, you know, if you're if you're one of the elite espionage um organizations on the planet that you being able to find your way into admission logs of a hospital would be so difficult. Um, um, any opinion on why we're only learning about this now? Yeah. You, you know, you, you know, you, we can, you of course go straight to incompetence, which does, which does apply, right. but you also have a, a an intelligence community and the CIA, which has been hopelessly politicized for a long, long time, uh, to the point that it's basically run by, I don't you call it, these sort of reptilian characters who inhabit headquarters and uh, engage in sort of laissez-faire backstabbing and brown-nosing and smoke-and-mirrors work to get to the top. And you say, so look at the, the top people that we know of and look at their backgrounds. Very few of them have any experience uh, doing actual operations uh, and many of them are analysts and but the th not and generally not very good ones but they're very good at that game of uh, sort of you know leapfrog to get to the top and get managerial roles or I won't even use the word leadership because that doesn't right. apply but these are very political people you know, who you know are not intelligence officers in the, the real sense uh, but it is an organization which has long since lost its its um, sense of mission, uh, which is to get the information that the America most needs by whatever method. And the you, know, you hardly know what to say. You look at a character like a, a John Brennan or a Mike Morrell, you know, these guys that were always in the news, and then you look at what they've actually done, and they have almost no professional accomplishments, if any. Uh, but they have played a game very well to get themselves to the top in the organization. So how do you can see how that is going to affect the organization's ability to actually go out and conduct operations and uh, get the information we need. Um, and in fact, that's not even in really a requirement, it seems, and for a long time. And it's a very simple dynamic, you know, to, you know, if you think about it and, you know, because you, you need information, you know, you, and the 
uh, if you know, that's what intelligence services do. They collect information. Analysis comes afterwards. Right. But if you can't get information, uh, that does, your analysis is not going is going to be uh, troubled, to say the least. Now, to get information against the hardest targets, that you you know it takes a lot of patient effort and over a number of years. And that's what, you know, that's what it is with hard targets, say the Russians, Islamic terrorists, and, and Chinese are difficult. It's more the, the environment in which you get them, but not actually getting Chinese, because most of them are corrupt. Um, but operating in China can be difficult. But, but, but again, what, we're, ta- what we're talking about here, though, would, to me would be like basic Dick Tracy espionage. Hey, get a look at the log and see if, right? Any of these names are in any of those logs. I, I mean, to me, I, I don't think that's not high level. That's like no, that's like it, Columbo shit. You know what it, I mean? It shouldn't be that hard. You know, you, it really it isn't. Um, it but isn't. you do have to be in position to do it. And you have right. to make the effort to do it, and that's the thing. Does is enough effort put against the, the right targets? And I would suggest no. And I say the dynamics very simple. Is that in the the directorate of operations? At the CA, people get promoted because they get recruitments, and they look at the number of recruitments that you get. Now, which is easier to get, like some guy from Nigeria or a guy in Al Qaeda? Well, and, the and guy could from you Nigeria. Ex- explain? So, could you explain recruitment? What does that mean? Oh, well, you have to get some foreigner to agree to give uh, information that, um, if it was known he gave it to you, he would get in a lot of trouble. Uh, and you generally it's done for money, um, but that's that's the basic way it works. Uh, but you had and some people are harder than others, and that is so. If promotion rewards etc. are doled out based on the number of people you get to agree to do that, the effort the uh, you're going to go after the easiest targets, but they're also the targets which are not of much interest to U.S. national interest. Uh, and, you know, the, and you have people who get to the top in the organization by uh, going after the easy targets. And that is sort of the dynamic that, that is at work there. And as a result, you see where it leaves the United States. That it, it, and you also have uh, just an sort of this constant temptation to cheat. Uh, and I include this in my, put this into my uh, my article, is that that there's a tendency, not a tendency, there's a, a real um, desire in some quarters to actually um, make stuff up. And because if you can create the illusion of a successful recruitment just long enough to get promoted, well, that's okay. It's sort of like a Chicago cop taking a brown envelope uh, just to get his career going a little bit. And, you know, I heard once the uh, was the guy who has actually got an award as the, the senior, as the most successful uh, intelligence officer, or uh, DO, uh, Director of Operations uh, Officer. I heard him say once that uh, you should go to an agent meeting with the intel already written. And then he said, and you should also, um, it, that it's okay to say what, quote, an agent would have said, unquote. So that kind of sounds like you mean make it up, <laughs> and that really isn't all that unusual. At the end of the day, you have to look at that organization and ask yourself: Does it produce information ahead of time that 
America needs that is going to help us avoid real trouble? And the answer I'd have, you'd have to say is it, it doesn't. It fails. And it has repeatedly. And it's not just the CIA. You look at the rest of the intel community, and it's not as if it's um, doing great things. Maybe there's – maybe NSA is. Um, but uh, but the – but I was the article is about is trying to get across the, the absolute rot, the professional incompetence at uh, at the CIA uh, these days. And it's Wuhan, the Wuhan lab is just the latest. You know the fact they don't already know. And as you said, it's not it's not that hard uh, with the right effort. And certainly for the, all the resources the U.S. has, there's you know, there's no excuse for not applying uh, effort to it. And then you do throw in the this blinding hatred of Donald Trump uh, for all those for those four years that you had the agency, by all accounts, um, withholding some information or refusing to say things that or make findings that would have benefited benefited Trump, and you know that is entirely believable. You know those reports. So you combine all of this with. Uh, you know, a CIA that really doesn't seem very good at spying. Uh, and then with a sort of a managerial class at the CIA, which are abs- they're political creatures, and, and that's it, with their only concern really to be, uh, benefit themselves, whatever it is they do, and really willing to, to cheat and lie uh, when it comes to intelligence reporting, intelligence analysis. Uh, that, that, you know, really, when you think of it, you really sweep. You know, you're always disappointed, but you're really not that surprised at what happened uh, with the Wuhan uh, business. Uh, and then you throw in top of all, I was just talking about the intelligence community, and then you throw in uh, the political opposition, the media, academia, you know, officialdom, the so-called resistance. Uh, and the, was it any wonder that now a year and a half after this thing that has killed three plus million people, ruined the lives of probably 20 times that and that the u.s government claims it still doesn't know what happened you know begging your pardon but that is not what what should have taken place yeah i don't and again uh, what you're looking for how how all of a sudden did this bit of information come out where did it come from why a year and a half a year and a quarter after this thing begins rolling around the world, all of a sudden we piece together that, you know, either either um, technicians or um, researchers were admitted to a hospital in Wuhan complaining of respiratory, you know, problems. I, I, I don't – where did that come from? Why all of a sudden is it in the news? Um, and, then, and then the other – as you rightly point out, I mean, this whole thing is so hyper-politicized. Um, now, all of a sudden, a story that was dismissed as propaganda by some of the most prom- by, the, by again, uh, by the Washington Post, by the New York Times, you know, and, and I just saw an article, um, a headline that talks about Tom Cotton and, and Chinese disinformation. Tom Cotton is repeating a uh a a a story that has clearly been debunked and you and you look at that and you say you know there was never any 
um, debunking of the story. It was simply a story that didn't fit the narrative of your political leanings, and so you excluded it. And so, um, speaking of the Bon Armour Shard, it is, uh, it's completed its uh, voyage to Texas, where it will now be turned into scrap. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're going back to Tom Cotton and the, the Wuhan thing. Just one last thing, because I had followed it from the very beginning. Right. And one thing, and you, you characterized it correctly, but you do have to remember that the savagery that oh was God. directed against anyone who suggested this. And Tom Cotton, you know, got the got full dose of it. Um, and the it was the, the entire commentariat, you know, the the, the whole Democrat, the Democratic Party, uh, once again, academia, the media, the officialdom, everyone said anyone who even suggests this is a possibility is a racist, is, you know, stupid, etc., etc. And the whole thing was just it was really it was a little bit disconcert, disorienting because it was so stupid. You know, if suppose that you know, you're in, uh, say, when you were in Hawaii the other day, if you'd seen a giraffe walking down the street, do you think you might have said, well, you know, maybe it came from the zoo? <laughs> you know, you might have. You and might. that was how you it was have. with the Wuhan, the Wuhan virus, is the, the, that, uh, let's see, this virus breaks out in the one, you know, the, the one place in China that has this laboratory, and maybe it came from there. And then you, but you were, if you even say that, you are say you're attacked, ridiculed, uh, condemned, cancelled, etc. And that's how bad this was. And now to have people now saying, "Oh, well, we kind of got it wrong," you really have to wonder about the people who did this. And if they would do that for this, you know, they will do it for just about anything. And you know, these people, you know, I think I said the other day, they really ought to just, if they had any decency, they head to Calcutta and work at Mother Teresa's for the next 10 years, take a time out. And then once you've rehabilitated yourself, come back. Uh, but that's how bad this has been uh, to my way of thinking. But that giraffe walking down the street, you know, it, it, uh, there's only a few places these things can come from and you should at least consider the idea. That's so anyway, but back to the Bonham Richard in Texas. Well, <laughs> well, again, I mean, at least consider it. Um, the thing that you shouldn't do is dismiss it outright, right? Well, that's you right? Know, that's the thing that, like, you know, anybody... And, and let me read you the... Like I'll, a, I'll read you the original. Know. This is the original Washington Post headline, all right? Um, Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus conspiracy theory that was already debunked, all right? That, um, that was the original uh, headline that I think appeared in... Uh, February, March of, of 2020. Over the Memorial Day weekend, um, somebody at the Washington Post with, with no footnote changed that story to have this headline. Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed. So they take conspiracy theory out and they take debunked out. And in the correction, they write this. Earlier versions of this story and its headline inaccurately characterized comments by Senator Tom Cotton, a Republican from Arkansas, regarding the origins of coronavirus. 
the term debunked and the post-use of conspiracy theory have been removed because then, as now, there was no determination about the origins of the virus. So that's how this game gets played, by people who have an agenda, right, um, who have skin in the game, and, and that's really not their role. Their, their role is, and this is on the news page, their role is to report. And just like with the AP saying, uncertain circumstances today, well, right, um, most fires of, uh, on ships at sea, you know, those circumstances aren't certain either. But when you write it like that, you mm-hmm. now take a side and you point people in a certain direction. And uh, it's, a, it's a huge, I think it's a huge shift and it's never been more active than we've, we've seen it today to include, uh, and I'll ask you about this. Um, all of a sudden, Facebook decides that you can, and they don't use the word China in any of it, you can refer to the COVID virus as human orig- originated, right? They will not. They will no longer ban those stories from their platform, and they. I mean, that's over a year old. Were they banned? They simply would not allow. And again, human origin. They don't say Chinese origin. You know, origin. They say human. You know, origin. And you talk about people that have their hand on the scale. And if you go back, and also the intel people you're talking about, when you look at the Russian bounty thing, the way the game gets played is you leak unsubstantiated, unverified intelligence chatter. To an outcome, and then you and then you convey it as certainty, when the whole when the whole basis of it has never even come close to being validated, and then you go on TV and you say unnamed intelligence sources, and again, a lot of it is guys like Clapper and Brennan that are playing this game in order to achieve a political end, and it's pretty amazing to watch, Grant. Oh yeah, it's you know you you watch it and you're it's it's disgraceful and it is this um, with designed for a political end in this case to hurt Donald Trump um, and of course anyone who dumb enough to make this argument about bounties seems to forget what we did during the Charlie Wilson wars that Afghan groups that killed more Russians got more money uh, but besides that. Uh, you, you see this over and over and you know I would note that the CIA does have some very good people. Uh, none of them, of course, will ever get anywhere near the top uh, running the place. That's how bad it is. Uh, there's a very good book on this that I would recommend. It's called Beyond Repair, Beyond Repair, by a fellow named Sam Faddis, who uh, worked at the CA for many years. Uh, and it led the first um, team into Iraq long before the, the war started and wrote a good book about that as well that's worth a, worth a look but his book, Beyond Repair, that he wrote about a decade ago, lays out the problems at the place. Uh, and it's, it's worth a look if you want to, to get an insider's um, take on it. Um, but so I just throw that out. But it is, you, know, you see these leaks that come out and it just, it's the whole thing. It's just been just disgraceful uh, to watch it. Uh, you know, I don't know how we're going to prevent to survive this. You know, I, really, how do you fix the organization? 
uh, as I noted in the uh, article, without a flamethrower, I'm not sure how you can. Uh, it's not doing what the country needs. That's there. Fair, that's, so fair, that's yeah. That's fairly that's you up. fairly fairly cheery. Um, talk to me about uh, the nation watched as John Senna. Um, Grant was on yesterday, and uh, the audio got screwed up that I recorded on my end. So, um, so we're rehashing some stuff. But uh, John Senna, in a very publicly way, uh, a former tough guy, World Wrestling Entertainment, uh, NCAA wrestler. Uh, very, very publicly begged for uh, his professional life. Uh, can you explain, everybody, why we saw that emotional, um, that him being so emotional? Was he actually on the verge of having his career ended? Oh, no. I don't know what exactly. I couldn't uh, get his emotion. <laughs> but it... Uh, you know, white men will grovel, to say the least. When they smell money, they will perform like a sea lion down at, like Shamu down at SeaWorld. Um, and that's kind of what you got. I think he feared, you know, losing some contracts, losing some finances. Uh, and so he was a, apologize isn't the right word. If you just grovel isn't the right word either. Um, but he was performing and to get the, uh, all 1.4 billion Chinese not to be angry at him. And it was uh, really a sh just shameful, you know, to watch this. Uh, you know, it's this um, humiliation of a, you know, of an, ad an adult humiliating themselves uh, just for money. And they well, probably and that is, do it if it didn't involve China. And that is saying something because we are talking about somebody who's a member of the World Wrestling Entertainment family, right? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's hard to say, you know, exactly, not exactly why they do it. You know, if you could sit him down and say, do you mind, like, uh, th that you're groveling before a regime that harvests organs from live people, you know, that has black prisons, uh, that burns, blows up, you know, Christian churches, that has concentration camps, doing what the Germans did to the, to the, to the Chinese Muslim population. Do you mind that? They, you know, you wonder if they would just look at you like a Labrador retriever and it just wouldn't register or, and just say, well, but I make so much money from them. You know, it, it's hard to know at what point a person goes completely insane. Uh, and I think maybe you saw that with uh, John Cena and some of these other, many of these other uh, celebrities um, who've groveled before China to keep their paychecks coming. But that um, is a long line, though. We, we know that. Oh, I mean, we, oh, right, yeah. he, the NBA. Yeah, the, just, NBA yeah, he, the line's been going on for a long time. Right. Nike. Is the latest right. guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So John Santa with, with much company uh, in that line. A uh, story about the Chinese birth rates uh, being recalibrated. Um, uh, what's going on there? Oh, yeah. Well, the, the Chinese back in about seven, 1978, 79 decided there were too many Chinese people. So they made an order that Chinese could only have one child. And this went on for many years. So and, let me ask you a question about this. How, mm -hmm. So how do they manage that? So is it if you get pregnant again, you have to go have an abortion? Is that how this yes. works? Yeah. And wow. uh, force, you know, often done by force. 
uh, and you know just the most horrific stories you can imagine. And the way it is in, in China, you have your it's organized in these sort of neighborhood block or village associations where you have these busybodies who spy on you, and uh, so they'll find out you know if you've you know if got a child coming. And then they make life miserable for you, and if necessary, you know, you know drag you off uh, for an abortion. Uh, and then about this was just a few years ago, the Chinese realized that they their population was going off a cliff, and there weren't enough young people, and everybody was getting old. Um, and they said, "Well, maybe there aren't enough Chinese people." So then, just a few years ago, they said, "Okay, well, we'll let you have two children." And that didn't really produce a huge change in anything. So now they've said three. Um, but they're afraid of the country, not to say running out of people, but you run out of uh, young people that you, you've got to have keep coming into the society to keep it uh, sort of healthy. And so the problem was they have an awful lot of old people, but not, not enough young people. And what this one-child policy did, it led to... Uh, a surplus of about 30 million men or boys, now men, who have no chance of ever getting a wife. And that causes some social problems as well. And so that is, that's sort of the background for their, this latest thing to now allow three children after having just a few years ago re relaxed it to two. Um, but that is it enough to turn the ship around? I don't. I kind of have my doubts. You know, Japan is facing a similar problem, but has responded to it very differently. Uh, but it is a. These are you know the population shrinks, and they say society gets old, and it, it does. It's um, not an ideal situation for a, a country like like China that sees itself as destined for world domination. Uh, but that's what what we see going. But I'm old enough to remember that when the one child policy was introduced. Uh, so what so how do they navigate this right i mean i i've i've seen stories that, that talk about the deny, demise of china will be linked to their their lack of population and that and that, yeah. that this reaction is too late um but it probably is too late you know to as to really fix things quickly uh -huh. um, but the i'm not convinced it's going to actually lead to the demise of china you know maybe over a century but not not right away. You know, you hear that all the time. Right. It's often trotted out as an excuse not to do anything about China. Oh, don't worry, they're getting old before they get rich, and the country, you know, it's, uh, they have a demographic time bomb ticking. Just let that play out, and we don't have to do anything to challenge them. Uh, but they've still got a whole lot of people, and they do have enough young people and these 30 million spare men. Uh, they've got plenty that can... Uh, let them throw their weight around and cause us no end of trouble, regardless of their demographic uh, difficulties. So I, that's, I think to me that is one of the wrong conclusions that people are making is that, uh, well, nothing to worry about. China's going to get is just going to be a bunch of old people. Well, not necessarily. You know, if it does play out, it's going to take a while. In the meantime, they can uh, there'll be no end of headaches for us from China. The um, I want to ask you about a story. Uh, Polish trial begins in Huawei-linked Chinese espionage case. Um, I'll read. I'll read you the first paragraph or so. An espionage trial involving a former Polish Secret Service agent 
and an ex-employee of Huawei begins in a Warsaw court Tuesday as some European states consider whether to exclude the Chinese group's equipment from their 5G telecommunications network. Poland arrested two men in January of 2019 on suspicion of spying for China in a move that has ramped up international debate over the potential security of using Huawei equipment in communication networks. Huawei has repeatedly denied its equipment can be used for an espi- for espionage by authorities in Beijing, but the United States has been pressuring countries to ban it. In Europe, only Britain and Sweden have done so have done so so far. Uh, Polish prosecutors allege that Wang Weijing, 39, using the cover of being a Huawei executive, spent more than seven years spying for China, trying to bolster the company's ability to influence the Polish government and enable it to manage the state, technology, and infrastructure of Poland, court documents show. Um, uh, Talk about this, Grant. Um, This certainly is not the kind of story that China enjoys seeing out there, yay? No, it's not at all, but it's a very good story because it, it lays out the, the Chinese MO, the way they do things uh, to, to influence. In America, they don't quite have to do it this way because they just have to hire American law firms who will do all the things that, that they need, uh, hire American executives at, at high salaries, and they will you know, say everything the Chinese want them to do. Um, and you know, try to even hire ex-politicians, etc. The, the Washington lobbyist game, so they can do it more easily. But in it's very interesting to see how they've done it in the Polish case is to actually insert a basically an intelligence guy into the the commercial act, commercial activities, and they get there and they do their thing, you know, influencing, and it's often involves a lot of money uh, paid under the table. But that can take on a momentum of its own once you get a lot of, you know, once you get a certain traction. And the you know, people, uh, say, in the national government see, well, Huawei's cheap. You know, we can use it, you know, to connect our entire country. It's good, it's a good thing. So starting with that initial push and the initial subversion, you can get people, a, a lot of people, and in places who matter to see uh, Huawei is a good thing. And it's really nothing more than an, an arm of the Chinese Communist Party's surveillance apparatus, but also combined with a uh, sort of a certain commercial force that also adds to Chinese national power. Uh, but to see this laid out like this in the, the case, it's, it's really worth watch, looking at if you want to get a good uh, sense of how sort of Chinese influence operations, political warfare effectively uh, takes place. Interesting, interesting. The um, you wrote a piece um, talking about how Taiwan's defense is linked to Japan and the implications for Japan. Uh, can you explain to everybody how the defense of Taiwan is linked to the defense of Japan? Well, the easiest way to understand it is if you look at the map. Uh, and then it, it'll all start to make a lot of sense because uh, Taiwan occupies a place right in the middle of the so-called first island chain. And that is this chain of islands from Japan down through Philippines, Taiwan to Malaysia, Indonesia, that uh, effectively hems in 
the Chinese military, it prevents it getting easy access to the, the Western Pacific. So it's this is like the sort of a the castle wall, if you think of it. If Taiwan comes under Chinese control, then your your defense line is broken. And from there, you have there's a few things that can happen uh, operationally is one, Taiwan is uh, on the main sea, stride, the main sea lanes through the South China Sea. And most of Japan's oil and energy comes through the South China Sea. A huge part of its international trade moves down there as well. Lose Taiwan and China can cut off those sea lanes. Also operating from Taiwan, the PLA, the Chinese military, can suddenly start operating much farther, much more easily out to the east, up to the north. And they'll be operating to the east of Japan, you know, submarines, surface combatants, aircraft, etc. And Japan will find itself both cut off and pretty close to surrounded uh, if Taiwan falls. And that uh, is a huge something that Japan needs to be much, much more uh, aware of, or at least willing. There are people who do understand it, but the Japanese government doesn't seem to take it seriously enough to actually do what it needs to do to improve its own defense, work better with the Americans, and look after Taiwan. Uh, also, from Japan's perspective, you, you have to ask, well, if they see that Taiwan comes under Chinese control, then they see that, well, the Americans couldn't do anything to prevent it or wouldn't do anything to prevent it. And Japan's going to be thinking, well, maybe you know the Americans can't protect us. And so the whole U.S.-Japan alliance potentially is called into question, you know, if Taiwan goes under or comes under Chinese control. And that's the the basic uh, sort of thing that the Japanese ought to be more aware of. And I was asked to write this article um, to explain all this to a Japanese audience. Um, uh, I was asked to write it by a Japanese magazine that does get read at the, the higher levels. But will it make any difference? You know, it's hard to say. Um, I would. It generally takes an actual crisis to get the Japanese to actually do anything. Uh, but that's the if you once again you look at the map and then think what you could do to Japan if you were China, and also consider the political psychological effects of seizing Taiwan on the rest of the region, on Japan, on the world. And it's um, it, it it's grim grim reading um, if you're sitting in Tokyo. Most nation states don't uh, self-correct in time to prevent a disaster. Anytime you see a nation take, you know, great corrective action, it's normally after a calamity. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it, Japan will remain on its, uh, on its, uh, I think, on its presence course. Will it will articulate a, a great fight and say uh, a lot of the right things in public. Uh, it will not fucking do what it's supposed to do uh, to 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 make a real change to contribute to the real defense of the Western Pacific, and uh, and you see that throughout history, you know you only hope that the United States uh, can rescue its own self out of a similar situation where, um, you know, in our conversation yesterday, you know, Grant. Um, we were talking about, you mentioned the fact that China launched three or four ships on the same day. And, and I asked you, how many ships do you think the United States, Japan, Australia, um, and anybody else who we, we would, India, 
uh, in the region launched that same day. And I think your response was zero. So, I mean, it's uh, it's not a pretty picture when you, you, you look at the trajectory, which takes us to the Chinese strategy in the Pacific. Is it simply the boa constrictor to 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 slowly but surely, you know, increase the pressure and increase the pressure to the point where the United States just looks and says, hey, look, we're not going to fight that fight in the, in the, in the South China Sea. Um, and we'll fall back to Alaska, uh, Hawaii, Guam, and uh, which leaves Japan out there holding the bag. Uh, Taiwan, you know, in spite of the fact that it has never been part of uh, mainland China, is given is ceded to the Chinese, as is the entire you know far western Pacific, and with the Central Pacific next. So um, it's not a pretty picture when you look at shipbuilding. And the Chinese strategy, which is to win without ever shooting. Uh, no, it's not. And you know, you can play this out. And really, I think if you now you if you it only takes ten years now, I think that's when we're if we don't do something fast, I think we're really going to find ourselves just outmatched uh, by the Chinese in every part of the Pacific. Uh, just more, they have so many more ships, more uh, aircraft. Uh, they have their commercial interests all over the place, even the most re- remote parts of the region. Uh, and they've got their people everywhere. And it's, they're just, they seem the, as if they're omnipresent. They're just all over. And we are not able to match them. So when you've got, say, three or four Chinese Mew, Mew Args making the rounds, uh, that has an influence. And that's just one part of it all. And we have one. You know the the seventh, you know the thirty first mu up in Japan, and that's it. And they have suppose they have four. Uh, you know, just to give you a, a sense of just how you know outmatched we can be and unable to sort of hold our own. So and, that and, and is, so you mean you mean in the re, in the region in the Western Pacific, so the Chinese would have four args, and we would have one. And the second one, people would say, well, what about the fifteenth mu? What about the eleventh mu? Those all get tagged to go to CENTCOM. So they transit, yeah, they, they transit mm-hmm. the Pacific, right? But they don't stay. Yeah, you know, and that's the the thing. So they, yeah, the transiting mew. But you know, the Chinese said, so "Just so I'm just throwing out four because that is, if they wanted to do it, they could have two already if they wanted. And if they wanted to have four, they easily could. And but you have these things going around, you know, making you know a show of force, you know, goodwill activities, conducting training with people, you know, who can't really say no. And we're show, you know, we show up once in a while, and we're no longer the big guys, the only show in town. And that say, this is just one example of how we get outmatched. And then you go to the most remote parts of the Asia-Pacific, and you'll find like Chinese traders there, Chinese businessmen. Uh, and you know, they, so that's how you get influence, and we're not, we're not playing the game the way we need to. Uh, so that's the concern, and I think that really within 10 years, you could see a really a, a very noticeable uh, change. You know, the the way they, that uh, was said, um, say, in 1900, the uh, Britain's enemy was, you know, was, uh, was France. And then by 1910, Britain and the French were solid allies. And just things have a way of changing really fast, and with that you maybe should have seen, but we tend not to predict the future very well. Uh, but with this, you can almost do the math and see how it just might play out. And it would really, it would turn things on, 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 our, on its head. 
uh, in terms of our current uh, position in Asia. Uh, Grant just teased a uh, memo written by a guy named Lynn Wells that that I've talked about, uh, I think he and I talked about before, but if you go to the All Marine Radio website, and you should relative to this, Lynn Wells, um, he writes, uh, he it, it's posted there. If you go to the All Marine Radio uh, website, you go to the you go to the read board, and just type in Lynn L I N is how you spell his name, um, and you'll see it. You'll see the memo pop up, and um, and so I was asking Grant yesterday uh, in light of in light of this memo. Um, About and, and what Wells writes about is he's asked by Don Rumsfeld um, about the future, and they're doing the quadrennial, quadrennial defense review in 2001. Now, this is just mind you, this is long before um, uh, September 11th happened. This is in, in April. This is all dated, and then Rumsfeld forwards uh, uh, Lynn Wells. Um, memo to him, and what he does is he goes, he goes, he starts in 1900, and um, and he goes every 10 years. If at the start of the, if you looked at the world and what great powers were doing in in 1900, here's what they would be preparing for. By 1910, you know he lays out a different state, and he goes through history. I'll read the first three, and you'll get a sense of. Of this, and I want to ask Grant about the Marine Corps Force Design 2030. Um, it, it's thoughts on thoughts for the 2001 Quadrennial Defense Review. If you had been a security police policy maker in the world's greatest power in 1900, you would have been a Brit looking warily at your age-old enemy, France. By 1910, you'd be allied with France, and your enemy would be Germany. By 1920, World War One would have been fought and won. You'd be engaged in a naval arms race with your erstwhile allies, the U.S. and Japan. Um, let me go down and read you just a couple more because these are just sentences. Nine, um, by 1930, the Naval Arms Limitation Treaties were in effect. The Great Depression was underway, and the defense planning standard was no war for 10 years. Nine years later, World War II had begun. By 1950, Britain no longer was the world's greatest power. The atomic age had dawned, and a police action was underway in Korea. Ten years later, the political focus was on the missile gap. The strategic paradigm was shifting from massive retaliation to flexible response, and and few people had ever heard of Vietnam. Um, I mean, so it's a wonderful historical memo that's amazing. And so I asked, Grant and I were talking yesterday, and I'll ask him to do it again, but when you look at Lynn Wells' memo and you look at the Marine Corps, which seems to be, even in the Marine, the defenders will tell me, Mac, the Marine Corps got told to focus on China. Okay? Um, and my question is, does that mean that the Marine Corps would have no other role in any other conflict than China? Because all in to one COA you know, certainly flies in the face of Lynn Wells' memo, to say the least, and historical wisdom in general. So I teed that up for Grant, and so Grant, why don't you, why don't you have at it again? What are uh, your thoughts on 
uh, the Lynn Wells memo and Force Design 2030? Well, anybody, you, you know, you know, actually, I would recommend that anyone who's interested in sort of things in Asia Pacific or even just foreign affairs or defense affairs, they ought to read the memo. It's really short, but it's really good. And it gets across just how hard it is to predict the future, even 10 years out, and the, the just the drastic changes which can take place in a very short period of time. And you know, he uses just historic examples, and they're not just historic. These are ones which, you know, anyone who's, say, 40 years old is going to recognize an awful lot of these. And that's, um, you know, it, this ought to be sort of alarming to say Marines when we're looking at how the Marine Corps is going to be transformed uh, because so much of it does seem to be based on dealing with a Chinese threat and it seems to be set up to fight China in a certain way at a certain place uh, but they don't quite know when Um, but it's this probably too narrow a focus and I think so the concern is I think rightly that Marine Corps capabilities are being reduced and shaped to fight a particular fight in a certain place. And given the sort of the uncertainties of how affairs develop, uh, that this is probably the wrong approach because you can almost bet that something is going to happen that we don't expect. You know, I'd mentioned yesterday that in 2000, you know, if you'd asked me where was the last place on earth the Marines will ever go, it was Afghanistan. And yet we were there for quite a long time. So with this, you know, the I think that the commandant may be uh, focusing too closely on a certain thing. And, you know, unless he's more clairvoyant than most human beings, uh, he may be, say, narrowing things too, uh, too finely. And that's a concern. You know, a good recent example and sort of historic example is, you know, who would ever have thought, say, in 1920 that. 20 years later, the, the British, the Americans, and the, Ger- and the Russians would get together to fight the Germans. You, know, you just couldn't have imagined it. And the point is that things change, and they happen in ways we don't expect. And you have to, I think, never forget that. But when you start saying, yeah, this is what's going to happen, this is what we're going to get ready for, you know, I guarantee it. Well, you know, tell me who's going to win the next Super Bowl if you're that good at this sort of thing. You know, it, it is important to prepare for contingencies, uh, but this to just compare for one, well, you'd better hope that one comes along in the way you think it is. And the read the Lynn Wells memo, and I think one can't help but have a great deal of uncertainty about uh, what the Marine Corps is doing today. I think that's I think that's exceedingly fair, right? And again, I think you're uh, you can believe in somebody's ability to be clairvoyant. Um, or you can read Linwell's memo and you can study history and say, yeah, what you're preparing for probably is not going to be what you fight. Um, and then knowing that the truth is somewhere in between, I think, uh, you know, you know, you would be prudent, right. To, um, to balance your force, certainly yeah. tilt it mm-hmm. in the direction that Congress has told you to focus on, but also be able to be flexible, uh, in doing that. And I think that, the 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 major criticism of Force Design 2030 that I've seen is like I think we all understand the need for three MEP to evolve to meet you know uh, to to be able to compete in the great power arena and I don't think anybody has a problem with that I think a lot of people find it head scratching uh, that one MEP and two MEP would become the exact same 
in, in, from what I've seen. And, uh, and that instead of taking bridging, bridging capabilities, armor capabilities, and putting them in the reserve like the Army does and, and calling them out when you need them, uh, we would send them away. And so, um, so as you said, you better be right in your assessment because if it happens any other place, will you be irrelevant? You know, will you be irrelevant? And the other thing I think that's interesting is, you know, we're two years into, you know, General Berger's commandancy, and you're seeing articles written, you know, what is the future mission of Marine Corps infantry? I mean, shouldn't that have been articulated already? Shouldn't somebody, shouldn't we know, right? Should that be a mystery? You know, it should be some evolving kind of a thing that we're looking at. So I, I, I just, I don't know. It just, uh, to me, still two years into this, uh, an awful lot of questions, an awful lot of questions. And one of the great things that people will send to me is, well, we got told to focus on China. Did you get told specifically at the exclusion of every other mission that might possibly come across on the range of military operations? And I would say I, I don't probably, I, unless I miss that testimony, you know. So, yeah, lean to China but be able to participate because you're the Marine Corps. And if the Marine Corps doesn't do windows anymore, does the Army know about that? Does Congress know about that? Does does the Army know that they're going to have to cough up in a land war someplace, maybe at least two divisions to go fight because the Marine Corps says we're out? Does the Army know that? Is money being spent to get that ready, to put into war plans? Uh, I think the answer to every one of those questions is no. So yeah, it's, it doesn't doesn't seem like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, um, Grant. What haven't I been smart enough to ask you in this marathon session today that you want to make um, that you want to make sure that people know? Oh goodness! Um, read the Lynn Wells memo, and read Sam Faddis's uh, Beyond Repair. Those two things. That would be that's the homework. Homework. Yeah, so all you got to do, you spell Lynn, L-I-N, so type in Lynn Wells, you'll see a picture of Lynn. He's got white hair and very bushy eyebrows, so he looks like a really smart guy, academic type. And uh, and it's just an image of uh, his memo. And it is, uh, certainly if you're into predicting the future, um, I would frame it and put it on my wall. And uh, so you make sure you sew into your plan enough dexterity so that you can be relevant and you can contribute uh, when uh, when somebody calls upon you to contribute, lest you become irrelevant. So, Grant, first of all, I appreciate you coming back on today. Um, I uh, I was remiss uh, yesterday when we talked, uh, uh, not asking you about the, the the Wuhan story, which to me is really a stunning piece of uh, stunning event uh, for a variety of reasons. One, the way it was excluded, the way it's now included. It was excluded to ridicule and to, uh, I think, for political points, which is a sad commentary on where uh, the journalism profession is uh, in the free world, that it's primarily a tool for a political party and uh, not uh, not a whole lot to what it was designed towards. And we're talking about the major publications of the United States, the paper of record, right? Um, and uh, so sad. Anyway, thank you very much. Have a great okay. evening. Mm-hmm. Are you headed? Are you headed okay. out tonight? Are you done for the evening? Um, no, no, I'm calling it quits. <laughs> yeah. I've had enough. <laughs> All right. All right, Grant. Thank you very much. 
Okay, thanks. Always enjoy it. You bet. Not here. That is uh, Grant Newsham very graciously, um, very graciously coming back on. Um, So in this hour, I will uh, include um, the link to the Lynn Wells memo. I'll also include the link to the woman who shoves the bear off the fence. You have to, honestly, you have to see that. Um, now, my son told me, you'd do the same for our dogs. And I said, yeah, I'm not sure that I would. I would for Joe because Joe's loyal. Jack, Jack's loyal to his stomach and to his sleep habit. He's not loyal to me. Joe's loyal to me. No matter what I do, Joe's out there. If I'm in the front yard, um, Joe's out there. If I'm in the backyard, Joe's out there. Joe just wants to be with me. If I walk, if I'm watching a baseball game and I walk to the back of the house, Joe walks to the back of the house with me. Yeah, that's your that's man's best friend. That's Joe. Jack. Yeah, Jack and I are a marriage of convenience. But when Jack gets scared, he comes looking for me. Yeah, where's my dad? Um. If you're just joining us, uh, talk about the Iranian uh, ship, the Karg, caught fire uh, in the aft end of the ship and went down. And uh, so the largest ship in the Iranian Navy sinks in the Gulf of Oman. Uh, There is speculation based on, uh, I don't think, any um, anything valid. Right under uncertain circumstances. I mean, that's a finger pointed at Israel, right? Well, since all the circumstances of the fire are uncertain, you know, why would you not say that? You know, there are a few details available at this time, right? Why would you insinuate that? I don't. I think that's wrong. Uh, but the Associated Press, again, maybe has an axe to grind with Israel because it smoked its uh its um. It's offices in Gaza. Um, so that very much in the news. Um, the um, the story of the woman. So it says a mom, but she's actually a teenager. A security camera, here's the story. A security camera captured a devoted dog's mom, wild standoff with a protective mama bear in the backyard of a San Gabriel Valley home over the Memorial Day weekend. The video shows a bear and two cubs, I only saw one, walking on top of a block wall behind the house in Bradbury, California. The family's four barking dogs soon came soon charged the bears and chaos ensues. So picture this. The bears are on top of the cinder block wall, walking down like they own the place. Yeah, sauntering towards the house. The security camera picks it up, right? The two cubs scamper back behind a tree, but the mama bear appeared to extend a paw towards one of the smaller dogs. Fearing for her dog's safety, a teen girl joined the fray after hearing the frantic barks. Haley Mornico can be seen running towards the bear and shoving the animal 
in a response, she said, was a result of pure instinct to protect her dog. All right, so let me play her. We were hanging out. We were working on our garden, trying to do some improvements. And then all of a sudden, our dogs start barking. And, of course, like any dog, they just bark at other dogs or any other animals they see. So I go to tell them to stop. And uh, I'm, I literally, like, frolicked over there. And by the time I got to where they were, I was like, oh, my God. That my There's a bear, and it is taking my dog. It is lifting her up off the ground. And if I don't do something about it... Uh, who knows what might happen to her. So I, I sprint. You can see in the video, I sprint towards her. And in that split second, I decide to push the bear. Like, it was nothing, apparently. And when I push the bear, she falls back. And that's when she, my the dog she grabbed runs away. And I pick up my other dog, and I scram. <laughs> that is awesome, right? That is awesome. So, um, yeah. So I'll include this link. But when you see it, um, everything works out for the good, right? The bears leave. And and, and you have to see the shot of, of this. It's not like the house borders up on wilderness. In the background is a street. So these bears, I mean, they're not, I mean, they're not afraid. Which, I mean, thank God that there wasn't a little kid out there or whatever that, that got um, the, um, so. Um, yeah, I'll put, I'll put this link in there. You got to watch it. So anyway, hope you have a great day. Uh, the Mensa brothers will join me live tomorrow morning. Uh, so we'll do that. Um, let's see what else is going on. Uh, we'll, we'll get, uh, Kim, uh, the chef on, on Friday. And then, uh, next week, uh, I head up to Montana on Monday. I think it's Monday. Uh, and then I come back uh, late Tuesday, Colleen. Um, no, I go up on Tuesday, come back on Wednesday. Uh, so I'll be up in Montana for about 36 hours. And then um, and then Colleen graduates from high school on Thursday. I go back up to Montana on Sunday, come back the following week. Then uh, that Sunday, I go to uh, Hawaii for what, three or four days that I do and then come back home. So busy few weeks anyway. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on, uh, for the rest of this week. So on a Wednesday morning, uh, and my, uh, my, uh, my gratitude to Grant Newsham, who, uh, who was on yesterday and then, uh, came back today to, uh, essentially we do the segment and we amplified it a little bit with some other stuff. So, um, that'll do it on a Wednesday. That feels like a Tuesday. So, uh, don't touch that dial. This, uh, this, um,
this program repeats itself momentarily uh, with Grant Newsham. Um, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. If I can help you help somebody that's struggling with trauma and life after trauma, by all means, reach out to me. Uh, it's uh, one of the things I do. So uh, if I can help you change somebody's life, um, please don't hesitate. All the contact information uh, on uh, the All Marine Radio website uh, comes to me. So uh, don't be afraid to do to, to use that stuff. So on this Tuesday, on this Wednesday that feels like Tuesday, uh, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow with the Mensa Brothers. <laughs>